You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. from carolinek.co and you're listening to snippets of genius if you're a client show guest weekly listener or friend of mine welcome back if you're new to the show it's great to have you here and i hope that this is exactly the inspiration you've been needing to become the person you most want to be each episode is your reminder that anything is possible I speak with the world's most impressive leaders, entrepreneurs, and innovators to share their stories from the big lessons to the unbelievable moments of taking their ideas global. Our conversations are your guide to burst your next opportunity wide open. And today, I am sat opposite the queen of the world. That is Tara Honeywell. And I'm so excited to be bringing her to you because Tara and I go way back. I actually don't know how many years. Tara, do you know how many years? I mean, it must be 10, over 10, maybe. But obviously, that means we met when we were 10, right? Of course, (laughs) of course. (laughs) Tara and I used to work together in the world of partnerships, and there is nobody in the world that I ever met that just sort of blew me away when she gets in front of a client and sort of just takes you on a journey of her vision, her boldness, and her purpose to make things better, to create something magnificent. And actually, the work that she's doing now completely aligns with that where purpose and profit all comes together and she's starting to do things really different and I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about the journey she's been on to go from the world of leading an agency into the charity space and now leading a brand new division of that business. Tara welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you Caroline and what an intro. What a journey when you put it like that really when we first met running an agency you know and all of the ups and downs the experiences and the learnings the opportunities and the challenges that come with that right through to now working in the not-for-profit sector very very different but really about bringing exactly those two things together so where that purpose can meet profit to enable us to drive further social impact really and that's I think what is so important at the moment with everything that's going on in the world we all can do what we can to try and make a bit of a difference. Well, I think our listeners are going to be quite intrigued. What are you doing on a profit side in a charity? Yes, well, I mean, charities are a bit of a mystical beast, really. And until you're kind of in the sector, you don't really know too much, too much about them. Or I certainly didn't. I had definite expectations and preconceptions about charities, and most of them have been blown out of the water. Although some, though some remain. <laughs> tell us a misconception before you tell us about bananas. What's your uh, misconception about a charity? Well, I've sort of shot myself in the foot here, really, because essentially when we were certainly when we were doing partnerships for lots of brands there was a real I guess a little bit of a opinion about what working with a charity would be like in terms of you know perhaps not being the fastest not necessarily being agile and so forth and and being quite bureaucratic in their structure and some of that is 
is true to a certain extent. But what people underestimate is really the amount of insight, research, influencing and policy shaping charities do around the world and how they're a really crucial part to the fabric of our society. And actually within that, it's a huge amount of value that is often not commercialised because of the nature of charities being not-for-profit. And also, I guess, sort of a little bit of underestimating what value they can bring to certain forums, certain organisations and certain individuals because they're so focused on their mission on the front line. So a lot of my role is very much around how do we utilise the assets and capabilities that Bernardo's has to develop for-profit ventures with that profit then going back into the charity to kind of enable us to do more on the ground. What made you make the leap into the charity space? I think I got a bit disenfranchised with people losing their shit about things that didn't really matter to be frank so you know people getting really frustrated about you know selling another packet of sweets or you know these types of things and and it was after I had my first child that I just thought to myself I just feel like I should be doing something that is able to contribute to society and I thought you know I've got this partnership experience I know that charities rely on a lot of partnerships for their income let me see if I can actually make a difference by doing that and taking it into a charity space and particularly aligned with a passion of mine. So I've always been a big advocate for young people, for youth. I used to be a, a, a mentor for young offenders and, and so forth. So it's kind of aligning as well my passions as a, as a kind of individual within the kind of business and commercial acumen that, that I love as well. Yeah, I can see that marrying up perfectly for you. And it's funny, it's so many great things are born out of a frustration or just an anger of just things should be different and they can be different. And you're now in such a great leadership role within Bernardo's to actually carve out new new opportunities, new business ideas, and actually create whole new models of ways of working. And what what do you find most exciting about that? I like the challenge <laughs> because, you know, you know, you say, I, I, you know, I am in a leadership role, but I'm also in an organisation with 8,000 employees, 22,000 volunteers working with hundreds of thousands of, of people across, across the UK. So as much as you have the, you know, opportunity to create change and to drive new initiatives you've got to do that in kind of a consultative way and in a community-led way and to build that momentum so you know it's great to have your kind of north star and 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 the ambition of where you're heading to but you know it's also about how you socialize that and you bring everyone on along that journey yeah, tell us a little bit about a journey. How have you managed some of the stresses and challenges that you've had to face to get some of these ideas on the go? I think it's all about perspective. And I think, you know, it's remembering that we're all working towards the same ambition. So in Bernardo's, everyone is driven by this incessant need to support children and young people and the most vulnerable in our society. And we all share that. So as long as you keep that kind of front and centre, I think I think that's really kind of crucial. I think everyone's human, right? So, you know, it can, dealing with the trials and tribulations and challenges can get 
frustrating, but I think it's really important to maintain perspective and just build resilience. And actually, I got a lot of resilience from working within mediator and kind of running a company myself and understanding, you know, the pressures of being responsible at that level for your teams, you know, and and having that kind of level of responsibility and still having to, you know, get in front of people with energy and passion when actually, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that, that, that was challenging. So I think that was a really good sort of lesson for me in terms of building my resilience, which I've been able to kind of take forward into this environment. So, you know, that's that's really helped me. And I think I just try and take a step back. And also, you know, just take 24 hours is my motto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one, the 24 hours. Have you any other habits or tips for our listeners about ways just to gain that perspective and give yourself that breathing space when the pressure's mounting and the stress is building? Yeah, I think, I mean, looking after yourself is crucial, right? And sometimes when there's a lot going on and, you know, you're working a lot of hours, it's kind of the last thing that sort of comes into in, into play. So I think, you know, the basics of making sure you are getting sleep, you are getting some exercise, you are eating, you know, are all things to kind of keep you in a good space, lots of matcha and not too much coffee. It's also a good tip. And then I think it's just about that, I used to say when when I was running Mediator, you know, we're not saving lives here, right? When when everyone used to get, when people were stressed or we were working on a pitch and it was late at night and to be like, don't worry, we're not saving lives here. I can't really say that now, but I think it's about understanding what's within your gift and kind of not sort of getting too frustrated with the things around you that you can't change, accepting that those things are there and they may make your journey slightly more messy but just focusing on what's within your gift and kind of keeping focused I think is really crucial to not getting too frustrated and then the final piece is you know just be the change you want to see right in terms of you know if things are frustrating you try and try and role model how you want it to be that's perfect. That was a great answer. And I'm so intrigued when you talked a little bit about there about your gifts. What what would you say are your gifts? <laughs> I mean, it's always really hard, isn't it, to talk about what you think your own gifts are. I think it would be better if you probably asked some of my team to tell you or my partner or my friends. But for what, what people do you think your team told- would say? Yeah, uh, what told you. Or or what they have told me. I think certainly pitching and to your point earlier, kind of getting in front of people and kind of really, you know, being able to get into their headspace and being able to play back to them what they actually really want. Because I think sometimes people think they know what they want, but they actually don't really know what the, you know, what that actually translates in, in terms of reality. So I think being able to understand quite a lot of information and then form those insights quite quickly quickly and play that back with great clarity is probably a a strength of mine and then I would really say relationships you know relationships and that kind of collaborative approach which again plays back to kind of my core values you know and I think collaboration is such a powerful method but it is a skill that needs to be managed and kind of planned appropriately because it is actually harder to do collaboration really well than it is to work in silos and that's why so many people tend to work in silos so I think you know around those areas are probably strengths but you you should know you worked with me what are my strengths Caroline (laughs) (laughs) I remember 
<laughs> I remember just as you said. And it is about those relationships and helping people see the bigger picture and 100% how big you take this, how far this could go and inspiring people to go on a journey with you. And that is absolutely 100% one of your strengths and one of the reasons I loved working with you. And I think I, I want to inquire, I want to dig a bit under the surface as to what was one of the hardest moments you've had where you've had to really lean into those gifts of yours. That's why I really wanted to recap, but where you've had that <laughs> challenging time and you've actually had to lean hard into your gifts to get through it and come out the other side positively. Yeah, I think I think there's been a number of kind of key formative stages probably in my career where I've, I've sort of faced some of those challenges. I think when I was made managing director of of mediator it was a great opportunity for me and I was really excited and motivated for it especially as I'd worked in the company for so long and I knew what needed to change to make us successful and I had the ambition and the vision and in my first board meeting I was told that actually I had to keep cut costs by about 60% and was going to have to make a number of people redundant and these were people that had been my peers right that were my that were my friends that were on my team and I think that year that involved that and kind of we broke down the business right back we took it right back to core and then we built back up slowly but that whole year I think was really challenging around that not least because I was kind of managing the emotional you know side of of having to let people who were really good and who I really valued go but also at the same time trying to maintain that energy and positivity to create that vision that was going to continue the company and actually turn it around from a loss-making company into a profit-making company so sometimes it's about that step to to recognize you have to go back to go forward so that was that was really a formative moment and again when I joined Bernardo's with with the partnerships team I sort of thought I'd come in, I wanted to come brand side, I'd always been agency, you know, and I thought it'd be great, the partnership proposition would be really clear, you know, I could just come in, I can can sell it, it's all straightforward. And I was just massively surprised that it was not like that at all. And again, I'd kind of come in, I'd just had a baby, so I started a new job just after having a a baby, and um, it was all a real juggling act because it kind of threw me and I had to realise that, yeah, I had to, I had to get to know the organisation really quickly and also get to understand what was realistic for us to achieve in that year and then in year two, three, four and onwards and kind of develop that strategy. And that was another time where I think the resilience and, and the collaboration, you know, building the relationships around the charity, which then enabled us to have better propositions, better value propositions to take to market was really was really crucial. And, you know, and we're going through a similar stage with commercial ventures now where we've been live for two years and we're kind of starting to look at, okay, you know, how does this need to to be moving forward? We know enough now, you know, and how, how do we shape it and what do we want that to be? And again, that's involved in that consultative process, understanding what people want, you know, which may be different to what they actually say they want. And then how you kind of shape that into a compelling, ambitious, but realistic plan that you can deliver on. Yeah. And I think that sounds like one of the big things for you. And I know it always was, which seeing results and seeing things moving forward yeah. and gaining traction. And I imagine that even though you're now in the fast paced world of ventures and startups, and when you're there, it can accelerate. I imagine getting to that starting line doesn't seem that quick. So yeah. how have you managed that challenge of just 
from how it appears on the outside to what actually feels like on the inside. Yeah, the swan analogy, is it, isn't it? Where, I mean, again, that comes back to being aware of your environment and just, you know, I went from an independent, agile, effectively startup to a 160-year-old institution. And I think there is a lot of differences in terms of like there is with any small and large organization in terms of culture processes policies and and it can get frustrating but but I've just tried to you know sort of accept the things that I can't change and then work on the things that I can and I think the more the longer we've been doing commercial ventures the more I'm understanding how we need to position things how we need to pivot things who needs to be socialized with with these ideas up front and who doesn't I mean there will always be you know in one instance we're really fast when COVID hit you know the amount of innovation that happened within the charity was phenomenal because it had to happen we had to continue giving those services to children and young people we couldn't let them down everyone else was right they weren't at school you know there was a lot of we called them kind of the unseen a lot of hidden vulnerable children and families and we had to find a way of staying in touch with them and we did that so there was a huge amount of innovation I think charities are some of the most innovative organizations out there I just think that we don't necessarily articulate that in a way that other organizations do because again we're not particularly great at kind of marketing you know our assets and capabilities beyond what we do with regards to our mission. Now having this knowledge of both sides what do you think are the old practices that business leaders actually need to shift to achieve success today? I think it is about, it's the long-term planning, you know, it's just, it's got to go, you know, the expectation and kind of quantifying things through the same lens that we used, you know, years ago or, or, or you know, five-year P&Ls and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It just is irrelevant. I understand there's a level of planning that needs to happen to be able to, you know, track and so forth. But I think it's much more about that iterative approach and much more about testing and learning um, with clear kind of performance indicators and so forth and knowing what success looks like for you but it's much less about you know I say to my team you know you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable you know we don't necessarily know all the answers and what we have to be guided with is the data and the evidence at each stage to kind of continue or not continue and I think that yeah it's just about being I guess generally more agile in the whole sort of business planning approach. If we've learned anything around the state of perma crisis that we're in now and at the moment, it's about, you know, you just don't know what's coming around the corner. So I think there's something in there around contingency planning and and being aware of that. But there's also something in having flexibility within your plans to ebb and flow to where the opportunities may arise, because that may look very different today as it could do in three six months a year's time brilliant brilliant and what's the best advice you've ever received I always seek out mentors in whatever area I'm I'm working in and that's been really crucial so I've received some really really great advice throughout my career in kind of different forms I think again it's about kind of knowing what's 
what's relevant for you. And I do always remember a piece of advice I was given when I was much younger about, you know, it's always better to be a big fish in a small pond than it is to be a small fish in a big pond. And that's something that stuck with me, particularly when personally I really like to contribute to the bigger vision, to the ambitions and kind of the overarching vision of companies, not just kind of the department that I sit within. And how's that work in a an organisation with over 8,000 people? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. There's some challenges. <laughs> <laughs> There's some challenges. But, but, you know, I sit on the senior leadership team for the Bernardo's Trading Companies, you know, so I get to kind of be part of that. So even though it's a large organisation, it's kind of getting your, being able to kind of input, impart your value at that level. So for our listeners, just tell us a little bit about Bernardo's and what their big mission is and how you fit into that. Sure. So Bernardo's is the largest children's charity in the UK. Last year, we worked with just under 400,000 children, young people and families up and down the country. And our work sort of falls into three key areas, really. So the first one is around stronger families. And that's very much about what support can we give families to enable them to, I guess, be in the best position they can be in terms of their health, well-being, and ultimately to keep that family unit together we do a lot around community centers a lot around early years and we're one of the largest providers of mental health services for children and young people in the UK then we look at kind of safer childhood so that's very much around protecting children from exploitation both criminal exploitation and sexual exploitation both in the preventative space but also supporting victims of those things no that sounds like a really uncomfortable space to work in you might have to see some horrors there I'd imagine yeah I mean you know working in the corporate side of a charity is actually you, you know enables you to make a difference without you having to get too close to to the action as such and I have to say that the frontline workers are literally the unsung heroes in terms of what we do they really are and 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 a lot of Bernardo's work is all about that relational work so it's all about relationships and it's all about being the consistent relationship for the young person when a lot of other agencies or you know institutions have let them down and that's kind of the common thread of everything everything we do and then the third The third pillar is around positive future. So that's very much around supporting children and young people that have been care experienced into positive destinations. So we know that if you're care experienced, you're actually, you know, less likely to be in further education, training or skills. So what can we do to support those young people to almost close that gap, to give them equal opportunities to their peers? And we do a lot around leaving care services and helping those young people transition into independent living, but also around employability, training and skills. And that's actually core to our purpose. So that was one of the first things Thomas Bernardo did when he set up when he set up the Ragged Schools back in 1866. Blimey, it's amazing. Not only that you're talking about 1866, so we're talking about a 150-year-old beast, I think, if my terrible we, maths is right. Yes, yes, about 160 <laughs> 60 years, oh I think. Yeah, God. exactly. I mean, so first of all, you have to get to grips with a hell of a lot of history. Then you need to get to grips with three quite substantially large divisions by the sound of it. Tell us a bit about that. 
So the charity itself is UK only. We do have, there are other Bernardos around the world. There's a Bernardos in Australia, for example. But we, whilst we have a, a kind of friendly relationship with them, there's no sort of structural ownership in terms of how the charity works. But the ventures that I'm looking to develop within commercial ventures aren't just from a UK focus. So obviously we'll be looking to scale those globally. That's a nice segue in. Tell us a bit about those those ventures and your ambition for those. Yeah, so I think there's a number of ventures developing in the portfolio, some of which I can talk about, some of which I can't. But one of the recent ventures that has just launched last month is something called Good Pay. So one of the challenges charities have, well, that there's a number of challenges, but, but one of the ways we acquire donors is by working with third party organisations to do that. And it's a real challenge for the sector. And there's a particular area of giving, payroll giving, which is very underrepresented. So in the UK, I think only 4% of UK employees give via their payroll. And I think in, in the US, it's about 30 35%. So it's quite an untapped market, yet it's the most tax efficient way to give to a charity. So it means that the donor can give more for less, and it means that the charity gets maximum impact. But there's a real disconnect at the moment with how charities acquire those donors by using third party organisations. So essentially, what we've done is come together with four other charities and said, we want to disrupt this space in the fundraising kind of arena. This isn't working for us. How can we bring together our sort of you know, breadth and depth of charity missions and, and kind of disrupt how this works. So we've created the first ever 100% charity owned professional fundraising organisation, meaning that not only can we make it a much better experience for us, for example, we would never get the data of the donors that we would we would acquire in the previous model. And now the data is owned by the charities they choose to support. What that means is charities can then thank donors and also show them the impact of their donations and show them the difference that they can make and kind of build that relationship beyond that kind of first interaction. Wow, blimey. So, I mean, a big project, four charities brought together, all to support a common goal of making you know, money go further, which is a fantastic way that, you know, at the end of the day, it's the lifeblood of any business and it's absolutely the lifeblood of a charity. So that's amazing. You came up with this idea. Tell us a little bit about your journey to create this disruptive idea. Because I like the way you say, yeah, we just created a disruptive idea. <laughs> there might have been a bit behind that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and actually, I have to give kudos to Good Innovation, who were an innovation agency who supported the process by actually setting up something called the Good Lab. So they, they work particularly in the not-for-profit sector. And they went out to a lot of charities to say, look, we know areas are right for disruption you know let you know help us let's all kind of put into a pot and let's facilitate how we ideate and look at these opportunities so good innovation really led the charge on kind of bringing a lot of charities over there were you know a, a huge number of charities involved in that kind of good lab piece and then good pay was one of the initiatives that came out of Good Lab. There's some others as well. There's Matchable, which is a kind of volunteering platform and a few others. Some made it, some didn't, as you would expect. And then they supported in terms of, I guess, us charities coming together and actually sort of setting up the entity and, and moving it forward. And that was a really crucial component because everyone's got business as usual and then you're actually setting up a business and each of our own businesses is quite complex. So having that kind of someone to help support and marshal that process was really valuable in terms of not 
just around drawing the ideas out by understanding the problems that we all face, but also about then the more kind of, I guess, structural execution of what you need to do when you set up a venture. Amazing. And so how did they make the grade, as it were? How did you decide on the the best idea to move forward with? Yeah, there were a number of components, really, in terms of kind of criteria. So it's as you would expect in terms of that ideation piece. There was a lot done in what the problem areas are, you know, for fundraising and for charities. You know, what do we need to be really looking at to future proof us? And how does that lay on top of sort of the macroeconomic landscape and then us as our own kind of ecosystems in a way so what what are those opportunities that are sector wide and then and then we went through a process of you know workshops ideation and then you know your typical kind of scoring against a criteria to 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 get the ones that kind of float to the top and then it was about kind of getting five charities to invest on an equal footing into those which again was a was a huge piece of work in itself yeah yeah fascinating it's really interesting how actually it just actually comes down to communication and to be a marketeer (laughs) and (laughs) and to put all these ideas into practice and into action we're going to jump into some quick fire round questions now tara if that's okay sure okay what are your top go-to resources to help you stay inspired and stay on your journey I mean, podcasts, really great podcasts. Obviously, Snippets of a Genius is a great podcast to listen to. But I but I listen to a whole range of podcasts on different subject matters, actually. Also, books. I read a lot of books. So things like The Corporate Startup, The Lean Startup Approach, things like that I constantly refer to as well. Things have been done before thousands of times. So it's not about reinventing the wheel, but kind of leaning into what resources are available yeah, that's a great one. And how do you define success for you? I'll probably answer this question quite differently, depending on which year in my life you actually get me. I think for success for me is about being in an environment that is playing to your strengths, where you are making impact in what you're doing and you are gaining that satisfaction in doing that. And then I think it's about, especially for females, how you get that balance and how you get those boundaries. So Success for me is about, you know, making things work in all areas of my life and recognising that it's not about a work-life balance. It's about making my life work collectively with all of these things in which are really important for me. What's one piece of, what's one piece of advice you'd give your younger self? Not to sweat the small stuff. I think, you know, I think you get so kind of caught up in, you know, this and that or I certainly did and I was you know super ambitious and and I still am today but I used to take it on you know and 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 get take on the frustrations and the emotions of all of that and actually you know we're only here on average for 4,000 weeks if you read Oliver Berkman's book that's not a lot of time for us to make a difference and I think the key thing is just to enjoy the ride you know and just to really try and focus on you know that 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 happiness and health piece and the rest will follow. Brilliant advice and if you're having a tough day what's the one music track that lights you up makes you feel you can take it on? I mean, music is 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 key to, to. There's not one track that I could I could kind of say would light me up. There's a number depending on kind of what I'm looking for. But anything kind of Balearic house music, 
would generally just oh, lift my I love, lift I love my any soul. house. Who's your yeah, favourite? Who's your favourite? I mean, it, it, it really depends. So it depends on what I'm I'm listening to. So I usually just put on like a Balearic playlist and 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 go and go for it. And then I also do my best oh. papers and I've got those playing as well. Oh, I'll send you some DJs, Eric Murillo, Harry Choo Choo. That's what you want to be listening to. I'll send them over. Okay, so tell me, where can you find, where can people find you? What's the best way to contact you? So I'm on LinkedIn. So if you want to see what we're doing with commercial ventures and, and where I am in terms of events and networks, LinkedIn is a great place, just LinkedIn with Tara Honeywell. And then I'm also on Twitter as well. So you can follow me on Twitter, just at Tara Honeywell. Perfect. And if you had one ask for the listeners, what would that be? My one ask for the listeners is to keep the faith, just trust in yourself, know that you've got it and just go for it. Be brave and be bold. Love that. Tara, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much Thank for joining me on Genius. I really hope this was an episode that helps you on your journey. So please continue to spread the learnings as you take them from this series. And remember, there is no silver bullet. Opportunities are there for you. So chase your dreams with the knowledge you can do anything you set your mind to. Because anything is possible. Stay curious and enjoy every minute of the journey. And I'll see you very soon. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.